by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him. And when Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept out loud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of the Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land for, two, for these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you and remnant on, the, uh, remnant on earth. And keep alive for, so many, for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has sent me, lord of all Egypt, come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Gosen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. There you are yet five years of famine to come, so that you, you and your household and all that you have do not come into poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you, that you must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all of that you have seen. Hurry and bring me my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's back and wept, and Benjamin went upon his neck wept upon his neck, and he kissed all of his brothers and went upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. I am Joseph. You know, I was reading through my Bible. I do that on a regular basis and somewhere along the way I started noticing that there are statements in the Bible that they're short statements John but but they create such a level of shock that I started writing them down the I think the first one that I wrote down Zach was it was Leah now, if you know the Bible, you'll realize that Joseph woke up from his, Joseph, that Jacob woke up from his wedding night expecting it to be Rachel, and in the morning, it was Leah. Hang on. The next one I wrote down was, it was Joseph. Sharon, I'm glad you like that one. <laughs> <laughs> the next one I wrote down is it with Joseph. That, that, that was, you can't imagine the shock that must have caused his brothers. I am Joseph. The next one I wrote down was I am pregnant. And of course, that was Bathsheba to David. Well, I'd written those on the back of my reading list, and I was sitting in my doctor's office and reading my Bible, 
And I went in, you know, my turn came, and Dr. Deb Quaid is always good, good to me. I got in ahead of everyone else, and so I'm sitting in there, you know, you leave the waiting room. That doesn't mean you're immediately going to see the doctor. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> and so I was in the inner office, and I'm still reading my Bible, and Dr. Deb Quaid comes in, and she looks, and my reading list is face down, and the back is exposed, and she looks. She didn't see anything that I had written on the page except, I am pregnant. <laughs> and she looked at me like, what? Oh, that would be a shock. Oh, wait. They're telling us today, the liberal left is telling us, don't go there. Okay. Shelly said, nope, nope, don't go there. I am Joseph. You know, one of the things as a Christian counselor, pastoral counselor, through the years I've probably done as much counseling about forgiveness as anything else. You know why? Because every single one of us at some point in our lives and maybe every other day, we continually have to forgive. And one of the most difficult things in life is to forgive those who have hurt you. Now, if this was an honest crowd, everybody in the room would have said amen. Because it's true. Forgiveness is hard. And Roger, most of the time when I do this forgiveness things, some of you have been through my class on forgiveness, and I do it classroom style. But some of us do not learn that way sitting behind a desk in a chair, and the words are on the screen, and here's step number one, here's step number two. And the book of Joseph, the story of Joseph, is about forgiveness. But I need you to understand that forgiveness is not, it's more than just a momentary thought where you say, well, i got to forgive them, so let's just go on. And the truth is, you didn't. Forgiveness is not just a momentary thought. And it's more than a quick and easy decision. I have to forgive them, and so I will. No, you probably didn't. You probably did not. Because forgiveness is a journey. It is a journey you have to walk through. Maybe there are steps, but maybe it's just God working in you and taking you on this trip. Whether you want to go or not, God has you on a journey of forgiveness. And maybe we can learn rather than point one, point two, point three, point four. Maybe we can learn how to forgive from Joseph's journey of forgiveness. I told my wife somewhere along the way this week, I just totally rewrote my sermon. And, and I'm a pointed preacher. You know what that means? 
I have, it doesn't mean I point at people. I, I don't do that. I just call your name. It's easier. But this is not one of those outline kind of sermons. To find the journey of Joseph, what I've done, and the outline is not in your worship guide because Aaron was gone and he did this two weeks ago. And, but the lines are there and you can write it down. Or what you might do is just open your Bible and circle the references as I read them to you. Because, Donna, what I've done, I just, I took the points, if that is what they are, just by taking some of those statements, just like he said, I am Joseph. I did the same thing in Joseph's journey, and I took the verses, Vince, that, that show the journey he has taken to the point, Rodney, of forgiveness. First, it says, Joseph's brothers came and bowed. Now, Joseph was a governor over the land. We've talked about that in the past. Those of you who know the story know that happened. And you know how it happened. The one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. You realize, Bregan, that is the fulfillment of Joseph's dream. Now, there's a lot that has happened, Alice, between then and now. I mean, there, there have been... Uh, I, I love the video that Aaron shows for us this morning. And I leaned over and told Todd, it's like I said, she looked like Jabba the Hutt. Uh, you know, and Joseph was the good-looking one. Did you get that? But there's been a lot that's happened. Potiphar's house, the, the pit, Potiphar's house, and the prison. That sounds like a pointed sermon, doesn't it? That'll preach. But there's all that is behind him now. But Jamie, now his brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery, are on their knees, on their faces before him. And now, what do I do? Listen to me. How you treat people over whom you have power reveals who you really are. Think about that. How do you tra treat the waitress in the restaurant? Some people need to have to wait tables. How do you treat the stewardess on the airline? How do you treat the checkout girl behind the counter? By the way, how do you treat the people in the sound booth when things go poorly? Nobody's perfect. But they show great dedication. How do you treat the people that are under you? If I treat my staff badly, that reveals not who they are, it reveals who I am. If I treat you badly, no matter how you treat me, if I in return treat you badly, that reveals not who you are, but who I am. And I want you to know that it's not a made-up theme. I love 
my church. What about you? You see, there is a temptation when you're in power to get revenge and to get even. There was a preacher, and I I think his name was John Phillips. He was preaching at the Preacher's Conference in Jacksonville, Florida years ago. And he told this story, and he talked about when Joseph was put in charge. Cynthia, you remember that he was given a soldier to go before him to tell everybody, bow down? Well, this preacher said, imagine the day, Joyce, that Joseph went to Potiphar's house. And the soldier said, bow down to Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. I had to think about that, Benjamin. And I decided very quickly that he didn't go there. That that didn't happen. Do I not believe at this point that Joseph is far enough along in his journey and in his growth that he didn't bother going there? It was no longer necessary. Listen, beware of revenge. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And how you treat your enemy when he has fallen reveals who you are on the inside. The next statement is, I fear God. On the third day, okay, now let me tell you what the third day is. Well, my slides will be out. If I get ahead of myself, my slides will be wrong. So let me do it the way I'm supposed to. On the third day, Joseph said, do this and you will live for I fear God. Because what initially happened is when those brothers came and bowed down before him, he spoke harshly to them. He accused them wrongly. He said, you're spies. You're you're just here. You're lying and you're spying. You're here to spy out the the land and find our weakness so that you can attack us. He spoke to them harshly. And he accused them wrongly. And he imprisoned them unjustly for three days. Now, Chloe, I don't know how long Joseph was in that pit. The Bible doesn't say. But he put them in prison for three days. Now, praise the Lord, I've never been in prison. The only time I've been in a jail cell was at the carnival when somebody paid to have the preacher put in jail. And, you know, and, and I had to earn my way out. I had to be in there probably for 30 minutes. I couldn't stand 30 minutes. I, could, I can't imagine three days in jail. Now, some of you can explain to me what that's like because you've been there, but Boy, nobody laughed. (laughs) That was meant to be funny. Three days in jail unjustly. 
But something happened, Cindy. Something changed. And it was then that God began to do a work, really do a work in the life of Joseph, in the heart of Joseph. And he began his journey of forgiveness. Now, I need to point something out to you. At this point, Joseph went into Egypt as a slave when he was 17 years old. And at this point, he is probably about 37 years old. He's been there for 20 years. How long are you going to hold on to unforgiveness? Somebody has said, I don't know where this quote came from, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. It may help. And, I, and I'll tell you this. Um, wives, when your husband is angry and you're disagreeing, somebody said bickering, okay, call it whatever you want. And he walks out. Now, he did that so he can kick the dog, you know, or a hole in the wall. It's probably a good idea not to follow him. And it's certainly not a good idea to follow him talking. Because he needs time. And I've wondered, Tim, how many people stayed up all night long because they've misinterpreted that verse that says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. We have to make up before we can go to bed. No, you don't. That's not what the verse means. Sometimes you need time. And some of you are struggling with forgiveness and you are mad at yourself because you can't forgive yet. Listen to me. Look up here. Forgiveness is not an instantaneous decision. It is a journey. God has to do a work in your heart and bring you to the point that you can forgive. But he said, I fear God. I fear God. And it was the fear of God that began his journey of forgiveness. And if we're going to forgive, our fear of God has to be greater than the hurt that was caused by that person or those people who hurt us. I fear God. The next statement. We are guilty. We're guilty. The brothers said that. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. They're talking about when Joseph was thrown into the pit and you can just imagine that young 17-year-old screaming, let me go, I haven't done anything, let me go, please don't do this to me. Now, by the way, you will not understand the impact of this unless you understand that Joseph was speaking to them in Egyptian and not Hebrew. 
And they are now talking with each other in Hebrew. And the Bible says they didn't know that he understood what they were saying. And when he heard it, Kim, he broke down and wept. He had to turn away so he could weep. By the way, there's a lot of things they didn't know. I don't, I'm looking at the clock and I don't have time to tell you this, but can I have one extra minute? I've got stories of people saying things in front of me when they didn't know that I spoke the language. I mean, I was, I was in a hotel, and I, I'm trying to think how to word this gracefully, okay? Uh, we were on vacation at the place we always go, and the people there knew that I was fluent in Swahili and knew a little bit of another language or two, and that's a different story. But in this case, there was a new manager at the hotel, and she was upset because when we got there, there was a, in Kenya they're called twilight girls, okay? We say ladies of the evening, for those of you who hadn't figured it out. Who had been in my room, the room we had, I mean she was the previous resident. But she had gone into town on business and left her luggage in the room. And the, host, the hotel staff was livid. We, what do we do? Her luggage is in the room. And I'm standing there. This is maybe the second or third time that I've been to the desk to find out when can we get in our room. And they've been talking about it, and I know everything that's going on. And Rick, the hotel manager, is livid. And she says, that woman is in town with her bed on her back and making money, and I don't know what she thinks we're supposed to do, and if she doesn't come back soon, we're going to put her luggage in a closet and let this good man have his room. And I spoke up. All this is in Swahili. I didn't know. She didn't know. I was listening. And I spoke up, and in Swahili, fluent Swahili, said, that's okay, I don't mind. We can wait a little bit longer. When she comes back from doing what she's doing in Mombasa, then we'll, get, we'll take the room in the meantime. If she doesn't show up, just put her luggage in the closet, like you said, clean the room, and, and we'll go ahead and take it. That woman put her head on the desk. She said, Mr. Rayburn, I'm sorry that I spoke that way about one of our clients. I didn't know you were listening. Well, you were speaking out loud. (laughs) And she said, I apologize. I said, that's okay, but I want my room. So if she doesn't come back, put her luggage in the closet and let me have my room. You don't understand this whole thing unless you understand they did not know that he could understand. But he overheard their confession of guilt. That moment though, Kim, and Kim, he was not ready to forgive them. 
He just wasn't there yet. And I, I want to ask you, what's it going to take to get you to the point where you can write off that debt, where you can give the gift of forgiveness? What has to happen? What more needs to be done for you to be able to forgive? The next statement is, I told you not to. I told you not to. This is Reuben speaking, by the way. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. I told you not to do it. Casey, the Bible tells the story that Reuben, see, Reuben is the firstborn. If you do not understand tribalism, if you do not understand birth order, you won't get this. But Reuben was the firstborn. Guess who was responsible for his little brother, Joseph? Reuben. And Reuben knew that. And Terry, he had a plan that he didn't tell his brothers. He was going to go back and free Joseph while they were not looking. And when he got back, Laura, he, he got there and he was gone. And the Bible says that he went, Eric, to his brothers and say, Now, what do I do? How do I face my father? By the way, Joseph now has new information they had never known. Sidney, do you get that? He never knew this. He was in the pit, and he was already gone when Reuben went back to his brothers. This is new information that we've never known, and that Joseph never knew. He never knew that Reuben intended to save him. By the way, when he found out, he passed over Reuben. You remember, Wendy, that he put somebody in jail to stay behind while the brothers went back home to bring Benjamin. That was his plot. That was his plan. But Alan, instead of keeping Reuben, he sent Reuben with the brothers, and he kept Simeon. Why Simeon? Because he was the second born. He was the next one responsible, and he did nothing to save him. The thing is, when you're stuck in unforgiveness, make sure you've got the whole story. Make sure you know all the details. Then the next statement is, his brother is dead. And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who is an old man, and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead. They're saying that to the brother. That's one of the funniest passages in the Scripture to me. Joseph is dead. And he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him very much. You know what's happened? They've told the lie. Do they, 
I mean, they knew he didn't die. They knew that he was sold into slavery, but they've told the lie so many times they now believe their own lie. But the truth was literally staring them in the face, eye to eye. You know, how many times have we told the story of our hurt and the offense against us? How many times have we rehashed the incident in our own heads? And how much have we embellished it? And are we now believing our own lie? The lie of the song that the devil keeps singing to us. And we need to admit the truth. Be sure you're telling the story of your hurt accurately. Number six. I wish I had an hour to preach this one sermon. Take me instead of him. Take me instead of him. This is Judah speaking. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of Benjamin. I told him if I don't bring him back to you, I myself will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. I probably can't accurately communicate to you all that that says in my heart. Let me, I can only try. You understand that for 20 plus years, this is probably 21 or 22 years, Joseph has held on to the hurt and he is lodged in unforgiveness. Listen to me. Forgiveness is a gift. But trust, trust has to be earned. And in this moment, one of the most magical moments in the book of Genesis, and certainly in the story of Joseph, in a moment pregnant with metaphor and prophecy, Judah stretches his arms out to Joseph and says, take me instead. Just like Jesus on the cross saw my guilt, He saw your sin and He saw mine, and He said to His Father, take me instead. And He died in my place and in your place. This is not the end of the sermon, but this is the invitation. Listen to me, if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never been saved, Jesus has done all that has to be done. He paid your sin debt. 
Just like Judah offered to become a slave so that Benjamin could go free, Jesus paid your sin debt. He died on the cross so that you can be free. All you have to do is come to Him in repentance and faith. Trust Him and you can be set free. Jesus died for you and He died for me. When, when Joseph hears that statement, Jamie, he is broken. Here is the brother who sold me into slavery and now he is willing to give his life to sign on to a lifetime of slavery in order to set my beloved brother free. All of a sudden, he can stand it no longer. He breaks down, Sharon, in tears, sobbing, and screams to the Egyptians, Get out! Get out! And he looks at his brothers and says, I'm Joseph. They are shocked out of their, well, I don't know if they wore socks, but they were shocked out of their shoes. I'm Joseph. And he said, is my father okay? Is my father okay? In a moment of transition, trust has been restored and forgiveness breaks out. Forgiveness breaks through. God wants that to happen for you. He wants you to be moved to the point in your journey that forgiveness just breaks out. You can't stand it any longer. And you are broken to the point that you said you are able to say, I'm not God. You see, at the end of the story, after the death of Joseph's father, Jacob, but don't be upset. The brothers came to him and they thought that he's probably going to get even with them now that, that Jacob, their father's dead, and that just kills Joseph that they would think that. So he says to them, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. By the way, if you're struggling with forgiveness, you don't have to deny that the hurt happened. You get that? It's not that you're required to deny that the hurt happened and you don't have to say, it doesn't matter. Joseph said, don't be angry with yourself because you did wrong. Because God used it for good. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve you. By the way, they thought that the forgiveness was not real. One of the things I would advise you is when you do forgive, hold on to forgiveness. Hold on to forgiveness. Don't forget that you canceled that debt. Even if trust has not been restored, hold on 
to forgiveness and admit, I'm not God. God will take care of this. God will take care of you. And God will take care of me. I'm not God. I think every once in a while, I'm afraid to call anybody's name right now because they'll think that the whole, you know, anyway. Every one of us occasionally need to be reminded, I'm not God. He is. He is. He is a God who loves you. He is a God who planned this sermon for you because I didn't. He knows who needs it, and He knows where you are in your journey. And I'm praying for you right now. My prayer is, may the forgiveness of God break through in your journey. And may He do it right here, right now. I want us to stand and bow our heads. I've talked about forgiveness. I've talked about a journey of forgiveness. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, nobody but Lynn and the Lord. If you're on that journey, and you count me a pastor to you personally, and you want me to pray for you on that journey, Nobody's looking, I am. The Lord is. If you would slip your hand up and say, pray for me, I'm on that journey and I'm struggling. I see your hand, yours, yours, yours. Hands all over the auditorium. If you're having trouble accepting the forgiveness of God, I want you to understand that Jesus has paid for every hurt, every offense. We just have to accept His forgiveness. That's how you get saved. You don't work your way to heaven. You don't earn it. You accept the price He paid by admitting to Him that you need Him because you can't do it. If that's where you are and you want to come for salvation this morning, I would love to meet you at the altar and pray with you. If you feel that you need to pray with me or with Todd, with Brenda, my wife, we're here for you. And we'll be in the lobby. Brenda will be in here. Todd and I will be in the lobby. And we'll be glad to meet with you and pray with you. Will you come for that decision? Father, I thank you that there are those who are willing to admit 
at least privately, that they are struggling with forgiveness and they are on this journey. And Lord, I pray for your power. That was the original point of the sermon. I need your power. But Lord, I changed because so much of it is about forgiveness. But because I need your power. And others need your power. Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on the hearts of people right now. You would give them the power to forgive what they have been unable to forgive. Lord, do a miracle by your spirit in this service, in this moment. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.